five, four, three, two, one, go. I do say that all seemed rather rehearsed. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog too. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the BBFC podcast. This episode takes a look at how comedy or humour in a film can impact on its classification. I'm Joe and I'll be guiding you through the next 20 or 30 minutes and I'm joined by film examiner and filmmaker Hamad. Hamad, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you Joe. It's a pleasure to do this today. Yeah, um, well this is actually my first time sort of appearing on the podcast, although I've been hanging around in the background recording a few of them, but um, I think you've actually appeared before, haven't you? Yes, I think I've done one once before, but mm. it's always a pleasure to get away from uh, the screen occasionally. Yeah, just get out of the uh, viewing room. That's right. Right, well, it's been a fairly busy month, so I'm going to run through a couple of news items before we get uh, into the uh, main uh, part of the podcast. This month, we launched new research into public demand for putting certain types of glamour imagery behind adult filters on mobile devices. And later in the program, we'll be speaking to BBFC Assistant Director David Austin about the research and what it means for the way glamour content available on mobile internet networks can be filtered by mobile network operators. Also this month, uh, February 10th, saw uh, Safer Internet Day uh, happen again. It's an annual event, and you can find um, a video that we've launched uh, to support the event on the main BBFC website, and also on the page for grown-ups on our CBBFC children's website. The video looks at the way the BBFC tools and partnerships are working to create a better internet for young people. Also in February, we helped raise money for Damara's Silver Screen, which is an initiative to get isolated elderly individuals in Hampshire and Dorset to the cinema. We sponsored their rotary red carpet gala screening of the second best exotic Marigold Hotel. This was held at University of Southampton and helped to raise money for the scheme. So a fair bit going on in February. Um, so now for the main part of the podcast, um, we're going to be speaking about um, comedy in film art. And obviously, as anyone familiar with the BBFC knows, context is quite an important part of uh, how we deal with film and how we cover issues uh, that appear in films. So comic and fantasy context um, can often make scenes of exaggerated and gory violence more acceptable. How do you go about sort of uh, incorporating that into classification decisions? I mean, comedy is, in like other things, part of the experience that audiences have when they see a film. It's uh, something that affects quite naturally how serious or how offensive or how much impact a film is going to have on a, on, a, on a viewer, on an audience. So it will make a difference in terms of sometimes whether it's a PG or a 12A or a 15, and actually it actually has an impact across the categories. You've said, you've said correctly that context is quite an important part of what we do. A, a joke can have an impact in many different ways. It all depends on its treatment, um, the film as a whole, the kind of audience that is going to receive the, uh, the, the joke. So these things all, all play a part, they all play a role. We're particularly conscious of the lower categories, children, um, and the parental concerns that come with uh, family viewing at sort of UPG 12A levels. That's where the, uh, the context that we apply for comedy uh, comes under quite a bit of scrutiny, quite a bit of close scrutiny, because on the one hand, of course, comedy is something that can make something quite serious, like a, a scene of violence or, or fighting, perhaps look less serious because it's funny. On the other hand, uh, it may not be to everybody's taste. So all these things work together, um, and we have to kind of balance out the, the various concerns. The best way to illustrate that is obviously through particular films. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean obviously the way something shot can have a massive impact on on how it appears on screen. I mean whether you show sort of the uh, the aftermath of the violence or you know obviously the co- comedy can really lessen the impact. Um, any films you've seen recently where that sort of played into the the decision you reached? Yeah, I mean there was a number. There's a number of films that show violence in in a comic context, and Anchorman is one. You know, Will Ferrell is a very uh, popular comedian, mm-hmm. comic actor. And uh, the Anchorman um, franchise now, I guess, because there have been two. There's uh, there's a lot of a lot of humour in them. People people love watching um, uh, Ron Burgundy. Mm-hmm. It's all about exaggeration. It's all about you know OTT over the top humour. Mm-hmm. And uh, in both Anchorman films, actually, uh, in in the first one, which was about over a, over ten years ago, and that was actually a twelve A. There's a scene in which uh, various anchors from different TV networks get into this really extreme uh, oh, brawl yeah. yes and that's actually repeated in in anchorman 2 which was more recent ah, okay yeah, yeah. I, i've not seen it myself but i remember the bit from the first one yeah that's right so they get into uh, they get into quite um, strong a strong fight you know mm. there's sort of spears thrown there's uh, an arm being pulled off there's blood spurts and it is all quite hilarious aim mm. they are anchors they're, yeah. they're news anchors yeah, they're yeah. not warriors or well, that, that, hang on, that's not how news anchors normally sort out these things or? no i think that's probably <laughs> what's in their heads but oh, uh, yeah. here they seem to have uh, they seem to have actually visualized it into in real terms mm. but the whole idea is that this is so outrageous now the detail in these scenes is actually you know, reasonably strong if it was presented in a more serious literal context mm. but the fact that it is Anchorman 2 and the fact that it is so silly and so exaggerated actually is where the context comes in so yeah. uh, for example in Anchorman 2 some of the detail may well be considered perhaps top end 15 or even 18 mm-hmm. but the fact that it is in a comic context mm. quite silly does make it a bit softer and and the audience gets the joke yeah that's important that we look at how how that actually plays out yeah i mean something that always sticks in my head is um rick malin adrian evanson in bottom and my favorite episode where the gas man comes over and they're trying to cover the fact that they're illegally using gas and they decide to knock him unconscious with a frying pan yeah they Uh, they don't just beat him once yeah the whole idea is that they keep doing it doing it to the point where it becomes so silly that you cannot take it seriously it just goes on and on and on and you know I'm, i'm in stitches but shot in another way that could be quite a quite a violent scene but the comedy just makes it hilarious and the impact is is less because of that. Uh, And that is the challenge for us, really, is to determine how cases like Anchorman 2, for example, or or Bottom, the show that you mentioned, Mm. um, fit into this whole thing. I mean, Tom and Jerry is a great example of Mm. the kind of origins of, you know, comic violence, slapstick slapstick violence, where children, you know, grow up on Bugs Bunny and Tom, Tom and Jerry. And the fact is... That they will take it as a joke, mm. uh, and mm. the, and the violence is actually quite extreme in those, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's travelled across to television and film. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I remember watching a documentary, it may have been with Stephen Fry, perhaps, where he said he he was in a in a village in Africa, and everybody was around a TV watching um, watching something. He's like, "What is it?" And it turned out to be Mr. Bean, and it sort of crossed language barriers because the the humour was um, slapstick and physical. It didn't matter if you spoke the language or not everybody got it you know um, and that sort of leads on to another point that how does sort of an individual's own sense of humor sort of impact on this because you know I'm a big fan of um, Chris Morris for example but his humor obviously can be quite dark quite edgy how do you take into account an individual's own sense of humor um, can it impact on the degree to which the comedy's perceived 
Well, that's where it gets a little bit more complex, the, the, the debate, because I've said that comedy can mitigate our concerns. It can mitigate how seriously an audience takes violence or any issue in a film. But the flip side to that argument is that humour in itself is quite a subjective thing. Mm. It isn't a standard that is universally applied. So what one person may find funny, another person will not and will probably you know, find it offensive. So that's just a fact of life. Mm. And that's where the context has to be balanced. And mm. we look at, you know, slapstick perhaps. Slapstick violence is something like you mentioned Mr. Bean, that is so universal. Mm. It is universal in terms of cultures and it's actually universal in terms of age. Mm -hmm. You know, my eight-year-old daughter enjoys Mr. Bean with my dad and, and, yeah. and that's, yeah. that's quite simple. Where it gets more uh, complicated is when we're looking at things like satire, um, possibly uh, representations of, you know, groups, you know, maybe racial, maybe gender, mm -hmm. and also, you know, sex references and things like that. So you're absolutely right. The individual sense of humour plays a big role. For example, some people may find uh, some of Sasha Baron Cohen's films, mm. uh, Borat, Bruno, absolutely hilarious, wh whereas others will or m might find it, uh, you know, the content offensive. So mm -hmm. that's the balancing act that we need to look at. And the way that we do that, really, the best that we can do is to actually engage with the attitudes of the likely majority of the audience, mm -hmm. the majority of the likely audience that that film is aimed at. Mm. We can we, we we try to engage with their attitudes. We try to get into the get into the shoes of the people who are going to go and watch Borat, mm -hmm. rather than you know perhaps the people who would never watch Borat. Yeah. But it's always a it's always a, a balancing act to try and apply our standards fairly. Yeah, I mean it's certainly true. Sort of coming coming fresh to Sasha Baron Cohen's work, if you if you hadn't seen any of his stuff before, it, you could potentially think, well, what's going on here? And I suppose it's the sort of thing we'd probably flag in BBFC Insights if, if there was a joke that perhaps could be potentially offensive to a lot of people. I suppose that is the sort of thing we'd, we'd highlight. Certainly, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, issues of uh, maybe discriminatory themes or references, they, they, that's what they are insights for, so mm -hmm. that you're always aware, you can always check beforehand mm -hmm. um, whether it's something that you may be interested in watching or not. The 12A, we're looking at, say, films like You Don't Mess With The Zohan, which is uh, Adam Sandler comedy. Um, it's a good example of what we're talking about here. A, a comedy that's probably going to be a little crude or a little bit silly, a little bit over the top at, at times. And uh, you'd watch it with your friends, 13, 14-year-olds. It's a film that will portray certain stereotypes, sometimes quite clumsily. Mm -hmm. In this film, there's, uh, you're looking at Israeli and Palestinian stereotypes, gender stereotypes. Mm -hmm possibly homophobic moments, um, mm. but they are in the context of comedy and quite restrained. I mean, um, You Don't Mess With The Zohan is Adam Sandler's take on the Borat films, but because he's from Hollywood and it's 12A level, mm. it's a PG-13 kind of film, um, there's quite a bit of restraint in some of, those, some of those moments. But still, it's the kind of comedy that you, know, you wouldn't necessarily want to see with your parents. So You Don't Mess With The Zohan is a 12A that's largely aimed at 12 to 14 year olds rather than family viewing i.e. youngsters with their parents mm -hmm. so that's how age can be quite important in terms of how a film is uh, received 
sure, sure. So something that you might be a bit embarrassed perhaps watching with your parents, but um, not so much with your your friends from school. That's that kind of a thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, you had the you had the Austin Powers films. Mm. Another good example. A little bit old now. Yeah. But that that series of films, uh, it, there's some innuendo. There's some moderate sort of sex references. Sometimes they're quite silly. Yeah. Um, and kind of knowing, but uh, very much of the young crowd. Yeah, they're sort of part of that sort of gross out humor type type film you know exactly there's, there's quite a few of those over the years obviously they're not to everybody's taste but it's again it's the sort of thing that we can highlight in the bbc insight so if there is stuff in there that we think is going to be a maybe a little bit offensive to some people they can always read ahead find out what's in that and see if it's the sort of thing they want to go and see absolutely it's a great tool especially at that category where you have the information about the film um, you know, it's genre and the key issues, and sometimes that gives you the right kind of flavour of whether it's something you're going to see with your friends or with your parents. Sure, sure. And, and moving slightly higher up the scale to uh, 15 rated uh, films, um, Kick Ass is one that um, we've often discussed, partly because the violence can be silly and cartoonish, but it can also be be quite sort of um, full on in some scenes. So it sort of creates a bit of a bit of a jarring sort of juxtaposition there. That's right, yeah, and this is uh, the kind of brand of cinema where um, it is actually referencing, you know, a lot of popular culture as well. I mean, Kick-Ass uh, is a great example of, of that kind of film which takes on board uh, superheroes, mm-hmm. comics, uh, other films and, and music, and and in doing so creates this kind of, you know, entertainment that there is comedy, mm. there is uh, a sense of uh, knowing humour to mm-hmm. it because you know where a lot of the uh, references are coming from mm. and uh, it's interesting to look at the violence in those films um, because like you said the tone sometimes shifts within the film mm. and you have to make an assessment as to what the film as a whole is mm. going to mean to the to the likely audience. Mm. You have that character of uh, Hit Girl, the young girl who's played by uh, Chloe Moretz mm-hmm. um, and she's this outrageous character. I mean, mm. this is so far from realism. Mm. You know, she's a, a uber-violent mm. young girl in a kind of mask and, and, mm. and, and costume who um, is uh, lethal, mm. uh, you know, with, with, with blades or knives in her hand. Now, she, she looks about, I don't know, 12 or 13 in, in the film, uh, but she is the daughter of Big Daddy, another yeah. superhero character played by... Nick Cage. So we're already in a world which is far removed from reality. So a lot of the violence in the film is quite cartoonish and will be laughed at mm. because of, because of the the outrageousness of it. Um, and certainly the scenes involving Hit Girl, you know, are quite silly and 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 and, and strong but silly. Mm. Mm. However, in the film, there is a, a scene later on where you're more more emotionally invested in the relationship uh, between Big Daddy and Hit Girl, father and daughter, mm. and when he is tortured. Mm. Uh, things do get a little bit more serious mm. and uh, you're not necessarily laughing at that torture scene. Uh, the violence takes on a more serious edge mm-hmm. um, and that's where within the same film you have different styles, different tones of violence, sometimes with comedy, sometimes without comedy mm. and it can be jarring sometimes. So, you know, this was a film that certainly gave us quite a bit of pause for discussion and debate mm. about that kind of change within the yeah. film and ultimately we felt that the film as a whole um, you know, would be seen very much uh, as a kind of quite knowing, mm. comic, violent film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And marching back down the age categories now, um, obviously we get a lot of comedies in that are aimed at a much lower um, age bracket. How do you sort of go about sort of judging whether something's too strong for, say, a Euro PG or a 12A? 
I mean, we, we always must exercise, uh, you know, maximum caution at U and PG. Uh, that's uh, important because those are the categories that we aren't really addressing the, the, the child viewer. We're addressing the parents mm-hmm. and the children as much as we're addressing their, their, um, their pleasure. So we will be cautious at U, we'll be cautious at PG. And whenever we see violence or, or innuendo, the, com- the comedy is important. Mm-hmm. But there's different types of comedy, again, at that level. There is comedy that is aimed at the children, and that's one type. And then there's the kind of comedy that you find in UMPG films sometimes that are dropped in, often for the parents' pleasure, mm. just so that they can uh, enjoy the experience yeah. with their children. And sometimes there'll be a, a sort of knowing uh, line of innuendo or something mm. that we know will go over the heads of the, of the children. We're talking yeah. about kids at the age of sort of maybe five six or seven for mm. you films or even eight or nine at the, you know pg films yeah, yeah. Uh, men in black three mm. had a, a i remember a, a bit of innuendo in which uh, obviously this is a sci-fi comedy that people are quite familiar with it's a franchise and uh, there was a reference to a race of aliens in that film they were called the viagrans <laughs> right and they developed a revolutionary new pill oh, now yeah so if you're you know, at PG, if you're eight or nine, that should hopefully go fly over your head in sure. the in the in the big picture while you're watching the film. And there's something that's just dropped in that will, you know, if you're a parent, you'll know what that means. Mm-hmm. So that that is a bit of a trend, mm. and that's not something that we would jump on necessarily yeah. within the context of a film that is otherwise suitable for for family viewing. You yeah. know, yeah, I remember like the Aardman films are particularly good at that sort of stuff. Um, I think uh, I might have been Curse of the Were-Rabbit where there's a, the camera pans across Wallace's bookshelf and there's a few sort of cheeky titles on various books but it's so brief and it's not the sort of thing that kids are necessarily going to pick up on or even understand if they did. Exactly, exactly. And that's not to say that uh, the UPG level is... Um, you don't have humour that is basically going to make both parents and children laugh. Mm. I mean, just as a quick example, in terms of television... Um, Horrible Histories is a really popular, mm. you know, comedy historical show that both children and parents enjoy. Mm. And in the uh, the sketches that they put on, f- uh, you know, to to illustrate the history, um, there are some occasionally really gory, really outrageous moments of slap- mm. slapstick violence. You know, it's really kind of um, off the wall. And uh, that's an example of possibly UPG level mm-hmm. humour, which actually everybody laughs at. Yeah, 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 sure. Okay, well, thanks very much, Mark. That's an interesting guide through the sort of uh, the way comedy impacts our work here at the BBFC, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you popping up again on a future podcast. No, it's been a real pleasure talking about comedy and classification. I look forward to the next opportunity. Thanks very much. So now we'll hear Hamad speaking to David Austin, uh, BBFC assistant director, regarding some glamour research that we've recently conducted. This month we launched a new research report into public demand for putting glamour imagery behind adult filters on mobile devices. I'm here with David Austin, Assistant Director at the BBFC, to talk about what the research found and what it means for filtering glamour images available via mobile internet. Hi David, welcome to the podcast. Hello Hamad. So what prompted this particular bit of research? So we became, at the end of 2013, the regulator on a voluntary basis of all commercial and internet content delivered via the mobile networks of EE3, Vodafone and O2. And under this service, we define what content we would classify at 18 or above, and therefore what content goes behind adult filters. And 
we wanted to find out exactly where the public drew the line in terms of what type of glamour content they felt was uh, appropriate for those under 18 and what type of glamour content needed to be restricted to adults only. So that was, that was why we carried out the research, to help the mobile network operators and their filtering companies set their filters in the right place. So for the benefit of uh, listeners, what do we actually mean when we refer to glamour content? Perhaps a convenient shorthand for glamour content might be what you would find in the so-called lads mags. So um, images usually of women, almost invari invariably of women, um, posing with some nudity perhaps, some sexual posing, that kind of content. Who actually took part in the research that was commissioned? Well, the research took part in two phases. We first of all asked... 1,000 people from across the UK, a representative cross-section, to have a look at 30 images and videos. And we asked them the simple question, should this content be restricted to adults only, or should it be, is it suitable to be viewed by those under the age of 18? So that gave us a pretty good basis to start with, but not enough information, because what we really wanted was the public to tell us, well, what are the characteristics of the images and videos in question that make them either problematic for under-18s or not problematic? So we needed to carry out a second part of the research with focus groups. So we did eight focus groups around the UK, divided between men and women. So there were some men-only focus groups and some women-only focus groups. Of, of those 30 images and videos that the 1,000 people had viewed, we took the ones that were very much borderline in terms of maybe half people thought it should be filtered and half thought it shouldn't to, to work out what what exactly was it about those images that, that made them either suitable for ratings or not. So we did um, eight focus groups in, in the West Country, London, Leeds and Scotland to get the views of, um, of, of, of those groups. So that's quite a thorough research, quite a, quite a process to, to elicit responses. Uh, and then of course the big question, what were the main findings of this research? The first key finding is that um, there is support from the public for certain glamour images to go behind adult filters. Uh, that's fine as far as it goes, but as I said, we wanted to find out exactly well, what was it about those images. And you can find these images on our website. We published the research, so you can go to our website and have a look. They're in an age-restricted part of the website, so you do have to go through an age gate to get to it because of the nature of some of the images. What, what the main features of the images that the public thought should go behind adult filters are Essentially, if there's a sexual invitation to the image or video, if there's an intention to sexually arouse the viewer, and the research company that we used, Ipsos Mora, defined these as the primary sexual elements. So anything that contains a sexual invitation, an intention to sexually arouse the viewer, is likely to be put behind adult filters. Uh, and the public described in a bit more detail well, what, what exactly does that mean, and they told us that um, it's issues like Full, full frontal nudity in a sexualized manner, um, sexual poses that imply readiness for sex, uh, unambiguous sexual fetish themes. This kind of detail um, is, is the sort of content the public wants us to put behind filters. And we published our policy response. Uh, again, you'll find it on our website. Um, and you can see in detail the type of content that the mobile operators will be filtering as a result of this research. So how does the actual uh, policy response uh, reflect our standards in film and video that the BBFC are already kind of uh, have in place? Well, the standards are essentially the same, broadly speaking, which is why the mobile operators came to us in the first place, because they knew that we did these, these large-scale public research uh, consultations to define what the public thinks is acceptable, the different age categories, and they wanted to use that experience and knowledge 
to inform their uh, classification of online and, com- uh, and, and commercial content. So the standards are essentially the same. But what we need to be aware of with glamour content is that there is usually no context whatsoever, unlike in a film. So you might, in a film, have, in a narrative film, say, a scene in a, in a, in a bar where there are maybe a couple of gangsters talking in the foreground and in the background there might be a sort of strip show or pole dancing. Now that might, in a, in a narrative film, be acceptable at 15, for example. But if you, if you took away the narrative, the gangsters talking in the foreground and just focused exclusively on the, the type of behaviour going on in the background, you know, pole dancing, stripping, that is far more likely to get an 18 and be filtered by the mobile operators because there's no context. Certainly, that's one of the most striking things from an examiner perspective as well, how much we talk about context in deciding whether images uh, are uh, to be classified lower or higher, and that's something that's not really uh, evident in, in, in this kind of content. There's also quite a bit of concern, has been quite a bit of concern about the protection of children and sexualized imagery. How do you find that the research has tied into that wider concern. That was very interesting. I mean, the, the research is actually well worth reading. There was quite a difference between um, what the what the male groups found and what the female groups found. So, what tended to be the most important factor for for men in the focus groups was how explicit is the image, how much nudity, how sexualized is the posing. Um, but for women, it was it was more. Um, you could argue it was more sophisticated in a way. And it and the the the, the comments that came up from women in the focus groups were. A lot to do with well the concerns about sexualization of of children, um, children being exposed to images that sort of present women as you know, sexually available objects to men. What kind of um, impression is this creating on young men? You know, well, un- under eighteen men, uh, boys and under eighteen girls as to what's expected of of women. So Reg Bailey, who carried out um, some research in twenty eleven for the government, found similar concerns about the sexualization. Uh, sexual content in the media, sexualization of children, and much of what we found in our research echoed what the public told Reg Bailey in his research, and what I know Mumsnetters have, have said in research that Mumsnet have carried out. It's it's not not entirely surprising that the the research, the conclusions that we found, mirror very closely what Reg Bailey found and what others have found in their research. So we've got quite a clear uh, set of standards for our policy response uh, to this research. I guess the important question now is in terms of practical issues, how will our policy uh, impact upon how mobile network operators actually filter the content? Well, what needs to happen now and what will happen now is that the filtering companies will look at where they've set the filters at the moment and match that with the policy to make sure that content that the public thinks should go behind filters is placed behind filters. And where there are difficult cases, you know, we will we will take a view. And if any if any member of the public thinks that content isn't being put behind adult filters that should be, they can um, contact in the first instance their mobile operator and, and then and, and contact us, and we will we will certainly take a view on that. Likewise, if a website owner thinks that their website is being unfairly put behind filters, they can come to us, and we will uh, we will take a look at that site for them and and, and give a view. Well, that's really interesting to hear, David, how the research is going to impact upon mobile network operators. And uh, thank you very much for coming to our podcast. It's a pleasure, Hamad. So thanks to David and Hamad there for talking us through the Glamour research. And that's all we have time for on this episode of the podcast. Don't forget, you can still send us your questions or ideas for things you'd like to hear about in future episodes of the podcast by emailing us at podcast at bbfc.co.uk. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter via at bbfc. I think I got it.
but just in case, tell me the whole thing again. I wasn't listening. 